A man nearly has a close encounter of the burned kind. Then we take a little camping trip with a group of friends in a cabin out in Vermont. It was a beautiful time for friends to get together, have a few laughs, share a few tales. But eventually the night grew long and it was time to fall asleep. Little did anyone know in that house that soon they would be packing up quickly before death arrived. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host Jason Harbiner. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I hope you have some cool plans for the weekend. I hope you guys are going to do something fun, even if it's just relaxing. That's how I like to spend my weekends. Doing nothing. And it's fun. But someone who's always fun, whether they're super busy, whether they have a busy schedule, or just like me, sitting by the side of a lake, a little bit of hayseed in my mouth, walking into Dead Rabbit Command right now, everyone give it up for Jonathan. Woohoo! Yeah! Wee! Yeah! Yeah! Come on in! Come on in! Sit by this lake! Walk all the way in here and then sit down in your Tom Sawyer pants by this lake. Jonathan! Jonathan sent me an email recently saying, hey, um... You mispronounce a lot of stuff, and that's okay. That really is okay if I had a problem with it. I'd stop listening to the podcast a long time ago. However, there was one word that you mispronounced that I had to point it out, and that was an episode I did a long time ago about goth. You're like, who's that? <laughs> who's that? Did you say ghost? It's Paranormal Podcast. No, you know the guy who wrote Faust and the guy who wrote The Sorrows of Young Werther? That was an episode. Jonathan said his name is actually Goethe. Goethe, I was mispronouncing it, and he wasn't just sending me an email to correct me. He wanted to talk a little bit about Goethe, and he sent me this book. It's a book of Goethe quotes. Goethe's little book of selected quotes. It sounds like it's for kids. Um, the kids won't understand it if you buy this for your three-year-old. Even though that title sounds cute, they will have no idea understanding it. It was a really cool book. Thank you. I've actually read it twice, because it's just a book of quotes, right? It's quite short, and... The words are quite big. A quote per page. I did like this quote a lot. Every man bears something within him that, if it were publicly announced, would excite feelings of aversion. And I really like that quote because I think everybody everybody does harbor a view they don't want people to know or a past event they don't want people to know or a future plan they don't want people to know. And they think they're alone in that. And they feel bad. They feel dark, maybe shame, and they go, everyone else in the world, except for like criminals they read about in the newspaper, but every normal person in the world, they're normal, but I have this dark thing of everyone has it. Everyone has it. Don't feel bad. Again, if it's super bad, don't do it, right? If it's like, oh man, I'm going to go and I'm going to slaughter all these people. Jason said it's okay. No, no, I didn't. I didn't. But you know what I mean? Like everyone has something in their past or some feeling that they have or some belief that they don't want anyone else to know. Everyone has that. It's not just you. It's weird because we do have that feeling like, oh, I'm the only one who did bad stuff growing up, or I'm the only one who would think that way. Again, this is not, <laughs> not looking for you to go out and fight. You're like, what? I can be openly racist towards people? Jason said that's okay. No, no, no. I'm not saying don't don't form an organization based around your belief. Don't go out and find like-minded people and become a group of supervillains. I'm just saying, don't feel alone. 
everybody has that. Everybody has that, that if it became public, people would be like, ew, gross. So, yeah, don't don't feel alone. <laughs> don't form don't form a terrorist group either. But I really like that quote. And there's a ton of other great quotes in that book. So, Jonathan, thanks for sending that over. You're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. You guys can't support the show financially. If you guys can't send me gifts, it's totally fine. It really is. I say it all the time and I mean it. That's okay. Just help spread the word about Dead Rabbit Radio. That is the way you can help the show grow. It really, really helps. It really means a lot. Jonathan, let's start off. I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the Jason Jet. We're going to leave behind Dead Rabbit Command. Everyone climb in this cockpit. Get your flight gear on. Jonathan, fly us all the way out to Michigan. We're headed out to Michigan. Specifically, we're headed out to Saginaw, Michigan. It's 1998. We're about to meet this young man. His name's Jeff. And he's a student at Central Michigan University. And it's late at night. And he's like, oh, man, I really got to stay up late to study for these finals. Musical montage. He's like writing stuff down. He's like, list of things to do. The first one goes study for final. He goes, I'll do that. Scratch it up. And then he's sitting there and he like cracks open the book and he's like, biology is the study of life on Earth. And it's a full, he's never opened it this whole, this whole semester. He's like, ah, probably should have followed the class along. He's going on field trips. He's catching frogs and he's dissecting them himself. And he's like, oh, wait, this is his geology class. So he drops the frog, gets some rocks dissecting them. He's like, dun, 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 dun. But eventually, it's time to go to sleep. Jeff crawls into bed. The next thing he knows, he wakes up in the middle of the night and someone is grabbing his head, holding onto his head and slowly but forcefully turning his head to the side. And he's panicked. This is waking him up from a deep sleep and he just feels pressure on the side of his head and it's turning, it's turning it and he can't fight it. And he also can't figure out what's going on. And as he feels this force pressing down on the side of his head, holding it still, he sees something move in the darkness. He's starting to see whatever's holding his head down, standing next to the bed, is slowly starting to lean over so it can look directly into Jeff's face. And that's when he sees that this wasn't a man. This wasn't some sort of prank going on at the dorm. What he saw was the face of a mantis alien. An insectoid had entered his dorm room. And he's staring eye to eye with this tall creature. Like he can just kind of make out the body type, right? And it's having to lean down low so it can look right into Jeff's face. And Jeff's freaking out and he's trying to resist. He's trying to move, but he can't. This... Large insectoid hand, claw, maybe, pushing down on his head, holding it forcefully. He can't resist the might of this mantis. He begins to not necessarily hear a voice, not even a telepathic command. He begins to get this feeling, this sensation 
that the mantis wants him to relax. Just relax. Just relax. And Jeff is still trying to fight this thing. He's trying to move his head, trying to get away, but he just keeps getting this sensation throughout his body that this mantis is saying, relax. Just relax. Just relax. And he keeps getting this non-verbal, non-telepathic message to just relax and let everything go. As he feels a needle slide into his eardrum and pierce his skull. He doesn't have any other memory after that. Well, obviously not. You're like, what? I don't remember what my name was. Like, something jabbed into my brain. He doesn't remember what happened after that. He has this brief memory of being held down and this mantis sticking this needle into his head. And he just couldn't. The, 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 the being was so powerful, he couldn't fight back. He was kind of stuck in that position. And it did what it wanted to. That's the thing that we see with a lot of these alien entities. They will simply do whatever they want. It's always interesting to compare and contrast. Demons seem to have that ability, but kind of the commonality with demons is you have to invite them into your life somehow. Either by openly asking for it, right? Trying to invoke a succubus or an incubus. Or playing with Ouija boards, exploring the dark arts. You can invite them in that way. Sometimes it's a little more subtle, Maybe it's not something that evil. It might be something as simple as visiting a location that's infested with dark energy. But usually, you're asking for it in some way. You're trying to contact spirits, command spirits, control spirits, something like that. You're trying to do channeling. You invite these things in. For the most part, UFOs, aliens, it doesn't matter. (laughs) Basically, if for whatever reason they want to examine you, they do it. You could be someone who totally believes in aliens. You could be someone who doesn't even really care about that. You don't think they exist. You think it's all sci-fi nonsense. You don't even research about it. You think it's lame. And then the next thing you know, an alien's sticking a drill in your ear. There's no invitation needed for alien phenomenon. And they're incredibly strong and they just do what they want. It's an interesting story, but what's even more interesting is I found this story on thinkaboutitdocs.com, which is one of my favorite UFO websites. Longtime listeners of the show know I talk about it all the time. I was reading this, and I was reading this, and I go, oh, that's pretty, I love insectoid aliens. I don't think they get enough love, I think. I mean, I'm not saying like raisin reptilians, they're pretty cool too, but I just love insectoids. Maybe because, maybe because I'm a contrarian. And they don't show up enough, maybe because I'm a huge ant fan, and it's like my ant brothers <laughs> all got aboard a spaceship and got mutated into giants somehow. What's interesting, though, I was reading this, and it told that story that I just told you, and then this little paragraph and thing about it, docs.com, uh, finished with this. And they were talking about, you couldn't resist the mantis, took the needle in his ear, and then it said, quote, He, meaning Jeff, he remembered another more benign encounter in 1994, a couple of years earlier. A more benign encounter in 1994 when a small gray alien creature woke him up, woke him up from his sleep so he could escape a fire raging in his apartment. 
I go, what? <laughs> what? I want to hear about that story. <laughs> like, I love my Mantis bros. But what? Wait, what? That's insane. He remembers. He's dead asleep. Fire burning. Fire alarm not going off. It's probably not properly hooked up. Fire's raging. Jeff's deep asleep. Little gray alien shows up. Hey, wake up. Wake up. Don't relax. Don't relax. What, huh? Wake up. Wake up. What? And you wake up and you're in a fiery room and there's a gray alien standing next to you. And get get out. <laughs> Why are you looking at me? I get it. I'm a gray alien. I know that I'm shocking. Aliens exist, bro. Go, 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 go. And then you're running out. There's no, there's nothing else. I don't know. Did the alien get out? I'm assuming he did. Right? The alien's all burning up. Ah! That's amazing. That might be one of the most exciting alien stories I've ever covered. And I didn't cover it. Because I couldn't find any more information about it. A dude whose life is saved by an alien. What was the gray alien doing there? Did he cause the fire? Did he feel bad? Was he doing some sort of experiment? And he's like, uh-oh, I probably shouldn't have put that space-age hypercoil right next to all that tissue paper. Blows the place up. I'm like, what happened? What happened here? And this is funny. Because this was one of the articles. This doesn't happen a lot. But to top it all off, I wanted to know so much more about this. You know, we've been covering a lot of stories from like the 1900s recently. This was stories 1998. Think about it, Docs.com, which is so good at sourcing where they get this stuff. They said this came from the Saginaw News, a local newspaper. The March 8th, 2004 edition. And while I wasn't able to find that article published in that newspaper, I could not, especially like local newspapers, you didn't really get a lot of online newspapers until much later, where all the articles are online. Like New York Times is great because they've gone back and put everything in the archive. And even nowadays, I'll go back to research stuff and news, local newspapers and stuff like that, they'll delete older articles that don't have much interest. This article obviously should have a ton of interest. I couldn't find the article... But um, they do list the author, a guy named Justin Engel, for the Saginaw News. And I go, well, let's see what happened to this dude. Did he also die in a fire? Did a gray alien not save him? Justin Engel, as of today, is still a reporter in Saginaw. He still works for local newspapers. And I shot him an email. I go, hey, dude, I know that you're getting this email like at 2 in the morning, but... You covered this story, and I sent him the link, and I sent him the little write-up that someone had done, and I go, do you have any more information about this gray alien and the fire? Like, obviously, he interviewed this guy. He wrote this article up for the newspaper. Never got an answer from Justin. Never got an answer from Justin, which was disappointing. I had this story ready to go for a couple weeks, and I was really hoping to get an email from Justin. Unfortunately not. So that is where the trail of this story ends. We have two fascinating alien stories in one. I love insectoids. I love relaxing. I love chilling out. I don't love needles in my ear or people holding my head down. But that doesn't make the story bad just because I don't like individual elements in it. Personally happening to me. And then I want to know more about this little savior, this little gray alien guy. What was he doing there? There's so much stuff to unpack there. Did the alien start the fire? Did the alien show up to save him from the fire? Was the alien somewhere else holding down someone's head in another house or an apartment? It looks like it took place there. 
was holding down someone's head and smelled smoke and then ran. goes, hold on. <laughs> the guy has a needle stuck in his ear. He goes, no, no, no. What am I supposed to do? And the gray alien ran over and woke up Jeff. Who knows? Absolutely bizarre. There's not... I can't think of another story off the top of my head where an alien showed up out of the blue to save somebody else's life. Crazy story. Could be even crazier if we had even more details, but fascinating nonetheless. Jonathan, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the carbon copter. We are leaving behind Michigan. Fly us all the way out to Vermont. <laughs> Welcome to Vermont. We drive past this sign. We got a rental car at Hertz. We landed the carpenter copter. Now Jonathan's driving us around in just a cheap rental, not even the Jason Jalopy. Driving down the road, we see the sign that says, Welcome to Vermont. And I have like this map and I'm like pointing at stuff. I'm like, go here, go there. <laughs> Jason, you're only pointing at McDonald's. I was like, yeah, because I'm hungry. We're driving around Vermont eating all the McRibs possible. But while we're driving in one direction, in another direction is a car full of friends. They're headed out to this cabin that they got through Airbnb. One of these guys, we're going to call him Steve. He's the person who told this story. Steve is sitting in the back of this car as they're traveling out to this cabin. None of them had been to this cabin before. It was a rental. But they're you know going to say, let's have a nice night deep in the woods. Deep within the maple trees of Vermont, syrup will flow like wine. We'll have all the pancakes we possibly can carry, which is a lot because basically it's just powder and then you add water. They're driving out to this cabin. They're going to spend a couple days in the woods together. Steve's there. A couple other people are there. And his best friend Eric is part of this group as well. And they get to the cabin. Party time is here. They're all walking into the cabin. Boombox playing. This story took place not too long ago. <laughs> Actually, it doesn't take place in the 1990s. It takes place far more recent than that. I don't have an exact year, but... Dun -up, ba -dun -dun. They're all walking into the cabin. They're like, dude, this place is dope. And they're like putting all their stuff down. Start having a party. Steve says, I probably had like one or two drinks and no one else drank anything. So it was just more of like a get-together. They're chatting. A day full of laughter is how he put it. But eventually, people are tired of the laughter, tired of the mirth. It's it's time to go to bed, right? It doesn't matter how much fun you're having. Your body does require sleep. So everyone's kind of headed off to their own bedrooms. Really, some of the people, they're sharing bedrooms. Steve and his best friend Eric are sharing a bedroom. Everyone's kind of gone upstairs. Eventually, Steve's the only one in the living room. Everyone else, including Eric, have gone up to their rooms. And Steve's the only one up. And he said that this cabin had no blinds. There were no curtains. And he thought that was weird. He said, I'm standing there and I look out and it's just utter darkness outside of the windows. You can't see anything at all. No blinds, no curtains, no nothing. Not only could someone look into your whole house, right? You have no blinds anywhere. But you wouldn't even know it because it's so dark outside. You wouldn't even know someone was outside looking at you. And Steve has this similar thought. And he's like, well, you know, what am I going to do? There's not a blind or curtain store nearby. Uh, I'm just going to go to bed. Time to go to bed. So he goes upstairs and Eric is laying in bed. 
not fully asleep yet. And Steve walks in, hey man, what's up? Uh, well, I'm laying down. What do you expect? What's up? Not me. I'm actually uh, getting ready to go to sleep. Steve walks in, and before laying down, he takes one last look. Like, he looks around the room, and he goes, wow, there's no blinds up here either. Like, this room is lit up. Anyone standing out there for miles, miles away, could look through the dark forest and see this lit up room. It's a little thing that's in his head. And Steve shuts the bedroom light off, crawls into bed. And almost immediately falls asleep. Deep asleep. And then all of a sudden, Steve's eyes open wide. Hands are locked around his neck. <laughs> Steve wakes up and he sees Eric standing over him, strangling him. Oh, Eric, stop! He's trying to get Eric's hands off of his throat. Steve stumbles to his feet and then begins attacking Eric in the darkness. What are you doing, man? Come on. A full-on fight erupts in this cabin room. Steve and Eric are getting flung from one end of it to another as they're locked in this mortal combat. Steve truly believes he's going to die if he doesn't get out of Eric's clutches. And he goes, we're in the darkness and we're fighting. And I would find myself getting pushed to one side of the room and I would hear glass shatter. We knocked over a mirror that was standing on a dresser. And the next thing I know, we're rolling to the other side of the room in this melee. And I hear the smashing of wood. As one of us falls down on a chair. And this fight is continuing. I'm fighting for my life. And Eric's fighting for his life too. But only one of us is going to make it out of this. This fight goes on for a minute. And the entire time both men are screaming. Both men are fighting with every last ounce of strength that they have. They're destroying the room. They're screaming at each other to stop. And yet they both feel compelled to defend themselves. But over the course of this minute, really towards the end of this minute, Eric begins to gather his senses. Steve is still swinging, right? Eric was the aggressor in this fight. And Steve's still fighting, but Eric starts to slow down and starts to back off the fight a little bit. And he turns on the light of the bedroom. Stop. Stop, Steve. Steve is standing there, takes a couple steps back. He's breathing hard as well. He sees in the bright light that that's his best friend. Whatever started this fight, he can't finish it. Eric is catching his breath. Steve is catching his breath. What What just happened, man? Steve says. The room is completely trashed. These two dudes were fighting so hard, hand-to-hand combat. They see the shattered glass. They see the broken furniture. In just one minute, these guys were going at it with everything they had. 
Eric goes, I don't know. I don't know what happened. All I was laying in bed. I had just fallen asleep. And the next thing I know, you were standing over my bed and you attacked me. All I know is that I had just fallen asleep and then I woke up. And you were standing over me and you were threatening me. I wasn't threatening you. No, no, no. I Listen, you were standing there. It, it woke me up because you were screaming at me. You were threatening me and you were pissing me off. You were making me so mad that I jumped up. And then you, somehow, somehow you got back into bed. And somehow you got back into bed and went to sleep. And I ran over and I started strangling you. Steve goes, that didn't happen. I was dead asleep. And this is when Eric's kind of like, he's, he's putting it together, right? That doesn't, how are you standing up threatening me, pissing me off, filling me with rage. And then I get up and you're just, laying peacefully in the bed it doesn't make sense but another detail these two men realized very quickly what didn't make sense for a minute these two men were screaming and fighting and smashing furniture and none of the other people none of their friends who were in the adjoining rooms in this cabin not a one of them woke up they were all sleeping upstairs. Somebody should have heard this fight, but not a single person woke up. Steve and Eric went downstairs, and they're just talking. <laughs> so you're not going to be able to go back to sleep after that, right? Just the raw adrenaline of it, plus the fear. What was that? What actually happened up there? They went downstairs, and they're just talking, trying to figure out what it could have been. You don't want to talk. You don't want to be up in that room anymore. They're downstairs, and they're talking. And while Steve's down there and he's talking to Eric, Steve begins to experience this sense of dread washing over him. Full, raw fear courses through his veins. Just sitting on the couch. The fight's long over. He's sitting there next to Eric. They're trying to talk about what's going on. And all of a sudden, Steve realizes he's going to die tonight. And he began to scream. Sitting in that living room late at night, he just began to scream at the top of his lungs. I'm going to die. I'm going to die tonight. We have to leave. We got to get out of here. We got to leave. And he's screaming so loud. This does wake his friends up. They didn't hear the fight that was happening on the same floor they were all sleeping on. But now they did hear this. And people run out of the room. So they're like, oh my God, what's going on? And Steve's like, we have to leave. We have to leave right now. Me and Eric just got in this huge fight. I don't know what's going on here. And Eric's like, yeah, it's pretty weird. And Steve's like, we gotta go. And his friends, this is a testament to his friends. They said, okay, let's go. Let's pack up. And he goes, within an hour, we were gone. They all packed up, hopped in the car. They'd rented this Airbnb for a couple days, and they just drove away into the night. The place was damaged, right? The room that they had rented out, the room that Steve and Eric was in, sustained a bunch of damage. And Steve goes, we did contact the Airbnb owners, and we didn't tell them the whole story. It's interesting. He, 
I, I wonder what details he left out. They might have just said me and a buddy got in a fight, left out any. Well, the question is, is that is this a paranormal story? And I feel like it is. Like, I think that's what is implied. He he titled it. Uh, Steve posted this online. This was his only post. It was like a throwaway account. He called it Idiot116. And he posted it, Did I Get Possessed? In the sense that, was he possessed by something in this house that... Which is interesting, because it all, if I had to give my take on it, No. But something imitated him that manifested itself and was there and was trash talking Eric. Remember, Eric's deep asleep and he says, I was I, I woke up, you were threatening me and I was overcome with rage. And so I got up and attacked you. Now, it's possible that Steve did get possessed, got up, walked over out of bed, pissed him off, walked back to bed, laid down. And that's what prompted it. But. I would think that something imitated Steve and knew exactly what to say that would hurt Eric enough to get him out of bed. And I would think that something more so possessed Eric, or at least was inflaming his feelings. Something in this room did, I believe, start this brawl and continued it. And it wasn't until Eric's kind of started coming to his senses. That's, that's another clue of why I think it was Eric who was possessed and not Steve. But we've covered stories before. I've had personal paranormal encounters where sound is gone. Not in the sense that you can't hear anything. I've been in paranormal encounters where I have screamed at the top of my lungs and the person in the next room, the person maybe 20, 30 feet away, they don't hear anything. Nothing. Which, when I, that was my old friend Dana. It's happened more than once, but my old friend Dana, she goes, I hear everything in the house. She goes, I can hear my mom cooking in the kitchen. Because the, the sound travels through the vents super easily. But I was screaming down in the living room. Shouting would probably be a better term, but she didn't hear anything. Which is alarming, because you think that there's safety in numbers, but it doesn't matter. Is there safety in numbers if everyone can't be in the same room at all times? If you're in a room and you're screaming for help, and the numbers just a few feet away down the hallway don't hear you, so that would dampen that sound up there as well. And I don't, I think whatever it was in this cabin may have been localized to that room. That's why when he began screaming in the living room, they did hear it. Because they were not just screaming in the room, they were also smashing things and fighting. So even if you said, well, maybe the rooms are well insulated up there, you don't hear a lot of sound. There was more sound coming from that room than there was downstairs. But... I think it probably was paranormal, and that might have been... Like, how would you tell this story to the Airbnb owner? You would probably say... You could say, listen, um, I'm pretty sure either me or my buddy or both of us were possessed at your cabin, and we got in a fight. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, you may just say, hey, things got out of hand. Steve goes, we paid for the damages. 
We we felt bad about <laughs> felt bad about getting possessed in your cabin. He goes, we paid for the damages. We paid for everything that we broke up there. He goes, we didn't tell them completely everything. But it is interesting because he said, uh, Steve goes, they did, the Airbnb owners did check the CO2 monitors in the house and they were working fine. So they may have not necessarily said something paranormal happened, but they may have... Wanted to know for their own validation because a lot that's a very popular thing nowadays. People are like, What? It's not paranormal, it's just CO2 levels, and then they just go about their day. I see that's like the number one debunking thing. CO2, he goes, They check the CO2 monitor, so they may have given them enough information to be like, You know, we were feeling a little lightheaded or we were acting weird or something like that. So it wasn't the CO2 levels, we just paid for the damages and. I mean, we're never going back, obviously, right? We're never going back there. It's an interesting story. You know, longtime listeners of Dead Rabbit Radio know that one of my fears, like one of, to me, one of the creepiest things that can happen to someone is the snapping, where someone who seems to be completely normal just loses it out of nowhere and all of a sudden picks up a hammer and begins smashing the skulls of their family members. It's interesting because it's actually a good... Combination with that Goethe quote from earlier, right? When I say everyone has something, well, I didn't say it, he did, but everyone has something hidden inside of them that if it was made public would excite feelings of aversion. You could say, well, Jason, that person who went on that hammer attack spree, that was their secret shame. They're constantly going to Home Depot and checking out the hammer aisle and they're like, someday my beauties someday like that was their thing so it's not that they snapped is that they were always standing on that precipice it's not like a normal person who's just like an accountant being like these numbers sure are hard today i know what will leave it a mass murder spree it's not that guy people who tend to go on these mass murder sprees they may be predispositioned to it but you don't know, right? A lot of times, especially as laymen, right? We don't know. We're just reading the newspaper and all of a sudden you find out some guy loaded up a shotgun and drove down to the old meatpacking plant. He never even worked that. He never went there. And he just walked and started blasting people. And then you're going like, what? what? What in the world? That guy must have just snapped. And we don't know, like, that's where the articles end. Maybe there's a couple articles when he's found guilty, or definitely a lot of articles if he's found innocent, and they're like, he's back, guys. That's the headline of the newspaper. It's a photo of him with a shotgun walking towards the photographer. Do people actually snap? And totally otherwise, people who would never go on a mass murder spree or strangle their best friend or whatever it is, does that happen, or are these people, like, slowly moving in that direction? I don't know. I mean, it's hard to tell, but we cover enough of this stuff, especially when we look at a demonic angle or a paranormal angle, where, yeah, it might be possible that everyone who goes on a mass murder spree or begins drowning their loved ones in the bathtub, how many of them were sleeping? <laughs> okay, so this is, real, this is really dark for a Friday episode. How many of them were slowly lurching towards destruction and how many of them were totally fine up until that Sunday afternoon, one August. And if you had a paranormal element into it, then yeah, sure, they could be totally normal people, but this darkness creeps inside of them. 
and tragedy strikes. It's interesting, you know, I didn't, I did plan these two stories together, but a lot of this is very an improv-driven show, right? I'm just looking at notes. I said earlier, I said normally you do invite demons and darkness into your world, and then I immediately cover a story where that doesn't happen. These two people weren't messing with anything. There's no background information as far as, you know, they used to play around with Ouija boards or they used to summon the Dark Lord himself. Whatever. None of that. This was a party. And they happened to be in the same room together in a cabin they had never been in before. They rented it because it was out in the middle of nowhere. And then this broke out. And here's the thing. Like, this fight... You had two friends, two best friends, fighting in the darkness, and they both survived, and they were both able to be like, man, what in the world happened? How did that... But imagine if one of them got the better of the other. One of them gets pushed down into the shards of glass and takes a nice piece of broken mirror through the carotid artery and just bleeds out in seconds in this pitch-black cabin room. And then Steve turns on the light, and there's Eric, his best friend, slowly bleeding out, his eyes wide in both fear and puzzlement. What just happened? The skin turns pale, and he's dead. Steve goes out, and he wakes everyone up, and he's freaking out. He's like, oh my god, Eric attacked me in the middle of the night, and we were fighting, and he got pushed down, and... At the very least, Steve's going to have to deal with the fact that he killed his best friend. And there would be no answers for it. He'd go, I woke up in the middle of the night and Eric's hands were wrapped around my throat. At the very least, he's going to have to deal with that. At the most, criminal charges. You know, he would really have to hope that they would believe that story that his best friend all this time, who they had never had any falling out, all of a sudden, he woke up and Eric was strangling him. And if the police could find any possible motive, like they liked the same girl or Eric was doing better at school than Steve or whatever, there's going to be some consequences there. Even if the police have to fit a round peg into a square hole. And there would be no answer. Steve would always wonder what happened that night. The fact that Eric survived and you know it would be the same thing if eric accidentally killed or on purpose they were fighting to the death but once the light came back on and if eric was standing over steve's body you would always wonder like what happened eric would say i woke up in the middle of the night and steve was threatening me so i attacked him see that he eric would definitely be in based on his story he that would be a criminal charge you're telling me that you woke up in the middle of the night your best friend was threatening you went and laid down in bed and then you started strangling him like definitely Eric would be facing criminal charges. But they both survived. They were both able to tell this story, and it turned from a possible homicide to a creepy paranormal event that took place in a cabin in the woods. But the story could have had the exact opposite ending where one of them were killed and then it became a true crime story and people would always be wondering what happened why did these two best friends start fighting in the darkness and only one of them made it out alive and the one who didn't make it out alive he would have no idea what happened either 
The line between the world of the paranormal and the world of true crime is thin. It's so thin. And I think a lot of crimes are influenced by the world of the paranormal. We see a lot of them. People killing their kids because God's telling them to, or they think that they're demons. Those, those are almost so common they don't even get reported all the time. But we, I mean, you can, you can Google that. The devil told me to kill my kid. I thought my kid was a demon. Google that and you'll see a ton of articles. A ton of beaming young faces. Captured in time in a photograph that will never smile again. Those are everywhere, unfortunately. And we always chalk those stories up to madness, and they might be. The child, I don't believe the children are actually possessed by the devil, but I would be hard-pressed to be convinced that the parents aren't possessed by some demonic or devilish force to be able to do that to their children. And even then, if you look a little deeper, you'll see story after story of people who committed crimes either under the orders of a satanic voice or completely oblivious to their actions at all. I don't know what happened. It was like I wasn't even in control of my own body. I don't remember. I just woke up and my hands were covered in blood. I couldn't stop myself. It was like I was looking through somebody else's eyes as I picked that hammer up and opened the bedroom door. Countless crimes that may have paranormal causes. So forget what I said. So forget what I said earlier in this episode about how people who are possessed by demons tend to invite it in. Because this next story that I told turns out that that doesn't seem to be the case. A paranormal tale nearly turned into a true life drama. A life altering event had this fight continued until one of the combatants was dead. An event that would shatter the lives of friends and families. All because a group of people wanted to spend a relaxing weekend at a cabin in the woods. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. TikTok is at DeadRabbitRadio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great weekend, guys. <laughs>